when long and interest rates move higher because of the much higher sensitivity to interest rates because of the higher duration in technical terms, a 10 basis point move in two-year interest rates is not even comparable to a 10 basis point move in 30-year interest rates. To explain it in numbers, a 10 basis point move higher in third-year interest rates is akin to about 10 times the magnitude of a 10 basis point move in two-year interest rates. Mm. When it comes to the mark-to-market, to the negative impact on your profit and loss, on your business, on your mark-to-market, it is 10 times as bad. So looking at this here, long end of the curve, moving higher rather than this, this is 10 times larger because of higher duration, of higher interest rate sensitivity of long-end interest rates. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. According to today's guest expert, there's a rare and powerful trend occurring in the bond markets right now. Bond analyst Alf Pecatiello warns that over the last three months, U.S. bond markets are in an aggressive and prolonged period of steepening of the yield curve. History shows, if left unchecked, this steepening is likely to cause serious damage to equity markets and the economy. To find out why, we'll hear from Alf himself. Alf, thanks so much for joining us today. Adam, always a pleasure to be here on Wealthy and with you. Thank you. Uh, always a great pleasure to have you on. It's been far too long. Thank you for joining me. Really interesting time for bonds, so it really couldn't be any more timely to have you on. Um, we got a lot of questions here for you. We're going to talk about this bear steepening that I mentioned in the intro. Real quick, I just want to flag for folks that, as I understand it, Alf, you've actually launched a brand new course, uh, basically educating people on uh, the fundamentals of bond investing, which you know I've heard from many, many people in our audience here. It's still tough for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. So we'll talk about the details of that after we go through all the macro data here. But 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 that's true, correct? You've got a new course out? It's correct. I mean, this bond market scares people away uh, with its jargon and technicalities, and I wanted to end that. So I created a bond market course to unpack it all. Okay. Yeah. It's funny with bonds, they're just a little mathy relative to stocks, sure. but to, to people, that little bit of math is almost like it's advanced calculus where they're like, oh, it's just too mathy. I can't think. It doesn't really require that any real advanced math. You just sort of have to understand how the components work, right? That is correct. More than the math itself, I think it's the jargon around it. It's the, this like this secret cloud around bond markets. And I think I just want to unpack it all, make it simple. Okay. Um, well, look, we'll we'll do a lot of that in this discussion. And then, then I'll let you tell everybody anything you want to about the course itself. A uh, lot of questions for you, but if we can, let's start where we always do with this general starter question. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Um, I think financial markets are testing the limits of what economies can take through two main channels, Adam. The first is higher oil prices. Higher oil prices are a tax on consumers. By spending more at the pump, you have less disposable income. The job market is deteriorating slowly but surely. And people have, you know, have seen the real incomes shrink already because of inflation. And now they're getting an oil price rally. And for places like Europe or the UK, which are big net energy importers, something like that is quite relevant. So the market is trying to test 
basically the strength of consumers. Can they take an oil rally to $100, for example, this late in the cycle? And the second way of testing is through the bond markets. Because so far, we have seen mostly front-end bond yields move higher, reflecting the Federal Reserve hiking cycle, the European Central Bank hiking cycle. But long-end bond yields were not rising that aggressively. The curve was deeply inverted. So that means that the transmission mechanism of higher interest rates to the economy was somehow dampened. But lately instead, we have had bear steepening. So interest rates go up and they go up faster at the long end of the curve. And when they do, it becomes really difficult for the economy and markets to handle that. So I think we are testing, markets are testing this hypothesis of a soft landing, of a strong economy, and the more we test, the more likely we are to break something. Okay. So just to be clear, this, this new element of rising yields on the long end of the curve, that's what you're talking about when you refer to the term bear steepening, correct? That is correct. So okay. I think bear steepening is... Yeah. Uh, real, and real quick before we go on there, I just want to summarize what you said, because I think it was really important, which is... Um, you know, a couple of months ago, we could have and did often on this channel, you know, uh, have a discussion about concerns of the lag effect, right, of of the impact of all the hiking uh, of interest rates that the Fed has done on the short end of the curve um, and all the macro data that we were looking at that suggested a recession was was ahead and all that type of stuff. And we we had a lot of concerns at that point in time about the economy's ability to handle all this going forward. Now, what you're saying is is from that time, We've had even more weight placed on the system, on the back of the system, because we've had um, we've had a higher cost of capital with the short end uh, rate hikes that the Fed has done. But now the overall cost of capital is going even higher as the long end yields catch up. You're nodding as I'm saying this. So cost of capital is getting even heavier on the system. At the same time, we're having input costs go back up again because of rising oil prices and oil prices go into practically everything, right? So we have these twin additional weights now pulling down on the economy and the market. So that's what you're saying. It's being tested, which is sort of like how heavy, how many and how heavy uh, of straws can we put on this camel's back before it breaks? Yes, that's exactly where we are now. And uh, I think to show visually the macro lags, let's start from what has happened so far with front-end interest rates moving higher. And what does that do to equity returns generally with the lag? So I call this chart the macro lags visualized. And what it does is it looks at US treasuries total return, that's the blue line. It takes the two-year cumulative total return in treasury bonds, okay? And it looks against it at the S&P 500 return on a two-year cumulative basis. But the trick is that the S&P 500 return is lagged by 18 months. So what are we looking at here? We are looking at what happens to the S&P 500 and to the economy 18 months after we have had a sharp move, either positive returns or negative returns by the bond market. So we are testing basically visually, Adam, whether once bond yields go down, so the blue line goes up, remember, the relationship is inverse between bond yields and bond prices. So if treasury returns are positive, 
what happens 18 months later to equity returns? And if bond returns are negative, what happens 18 months later to equity returns? Those are the macro lags effectively visualized by raising the cost of capital or reducing the cost of capital and then waiting for about 18 months, what happens to economic growth, to earnings, and to the S&P 500? And now see how the relationship looks pretty good. We are going back 20 years on this chart, Adam. Please, you want to say something? It's just that the correlation looks really tight over the past 20 years here. And I just want folks looking at the chart to take away what I think is what you're saying, Alf, which is that treasury returns lead S&P returns. And the, the, the delta is about 18 months, right? So we have the advantage. It's almost like looking into the future for the stock market, right? Okay, that where is... did bond returns go? Okay, 18 months later, we expect S&P to go in the same direction. So let's have a look at what happened already. So equity market returns were very positive uh, leading into the pandemic, just before the pandemic and leading into and after the pandemic as the Federal Reserve cut interest rates to zero, effectively. And we did quantitative easing. And with forward guidance, we kept you know, the long end of interest rate curve pretty depressed. So bond yields, bond returns were positive. The blue line went up. Well, with the lag of 18 months, we saw the equity market staging an incredible performance during 2021. Now, since then, bond markets are now having three years almost, we're running towards it, three years of negative returns, back-to-back -back negative returns. So the blue line, the leading indicator, moves down. Okay. And what sorry, it's, just, it's worth noting that that three years of back-to-back -back negative returns, unprecedented in the data series for treasuries, correct? That, that is pretty much correct. Of course, the starting point was interest rates at basically zero. So some of it is just taking back the excesses that we saw during the pandemic. But nevertheless, Bond markets are experiencing serious drawdowns. So what's happening? Interest rates have gone up. Cost of capital has gone up. For companies, it's more difficult to borrow. For people, it's more difficult to get a mortgage. Well, 18 months later, the S&P 500 is already starting to return zero or negative. For the last two years, the S&P 500 hasn't gone literally anywhere, following exactly this lead time. Now, if history is any guide, because the bond market is continuing its drawdown, so the cost of capital is continuing to increase and it's been kept very high for very long, you should expect equity markets over the next 18 months not to be able to do particularly well. And this is why I call the macro lags visualized, because the correlation looks very tight, and it is, Adam, for macro reasons. There is a lag between raising interest rates and seeing the impact of an increased cost of capital into the economy and into equity markets. And right now- right. We are and, and sorry to interrupt, lags. but again, that, just because you said something important there, there's actually sort of two lags you're talking about. There's the the move of the, the federal, uh, sorry, of the, of the policy for interest rates, right? We're gonna change the interest rate. Then there's a period of time between the change of the interest rate, and then we see that manifest in the economy. And then there's a, a delta between, you know, we start seeing corporate profits soften, whatever, and then we see the market react to that. That is true. And so now we are in the part of the lag or the lagging periods that are more likely, if you look at this chart, to actually manifest into a weaker economy and into weaker equity markets. The problem is that as the expectations 
for the recession at the beginning of the year, by me included, and I was wrong on the magnitude of the slowdown, the expectations are very high, Adam, that we would have a recession this year. Mm -hmm. The economy has slowed. The job market has deteriorated, but not to a pace that is sufficient enough to be recessionary, which means people are becoming frustrated. Typical late cycle, people become frustrated by the fact that you don't get a recession. You know, it's, it's fine. The economy can handle it. Higher rates are not a problem. This time is different. Soft landing, no landing. No landing, soft landing. All of this exactly with the same sequence was lived back in 2006, 2007. The Federal Reserve had raised the interest rates very aggressively. In 2006, they had paused. We were nine months in, March, April 2007. And you can Google and you'll find plenty of articles saying that this time is different that the Fed hiking cycle won't impact the economy at all, that you won't even get a slowdown. In October 2007, the Federal Reserve minutes were expecting growth in 2008 to be over 2%. In 2008, we got the biggest financial crisis of modern era. So people get frustrated by the macro lags, Adam, and right when it's more likely that we are going to get, look at this chart, the macro lags actually come into play, people instead throw the towel in. And markets yeah. also have a tendency to test this hypothesis of no lending, soft lending, by taxing the economy more with a double whammy of higher oil prices and bear steepening, which we are going to explain now, and making therefore this process even more complicated. You're in the part of the macro lags where you're more vulnerable, yet the narrative changes and markets try to test this hypothesis more and more until eventually something breaks. And when you say the markets test the hypothesis, they are basically saying, you know what? The camel's back hasn't broken. So we're just going to keep adding straw after straw after. And let's see how many straws we can get away with, right? And then obviously at some point it breaks, right? And then that's where the that damage occurs. And so we talked about oil prices, and I think you summarized correctly that it is indeed basically a hidden tax on consumers. So we are testing this hypothesis that consumers are resilient by basically having a late cycle rally in oil prices and making everything more expensive for them. That's one way to do this. At the same time, we are now proceeding to do bear steepening in bond markets. That's a very rare trend. It's a pretty dangerous one and a very rare one, especially if it happens when the economy is lowing. So let me elaborate. All right. First and can I make all, one point just for you to address in your answer? Sure. Um, this bear steepening is happening at a time where uh, an increasing amount of debt that is held by corporations and households, I guess, but, but corporations mostly, um, is going to be maturing and need to be rolled over. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That is indeed correct. Um... One of the points that people fail to understand in an era where we scroll on a mobile and we expect everything to happen immediately, including gratification, 
is that people think that higher interest rates or lower interest rates should immediately produce results of some sorts. Instead, the chart I showed before shows a, an 18 months lag, Adam. And also, if you think about it, if interest rates rise, but you don't have to refinance your mortgage, if a corporate doesn't have to immediately refinance their liabilities, who cares? Right. that interest rates have gone up. And this can go on for 12, for 18 months. Now, in this cycle, actually, the lags were a bit longer than usual because in 2020 and 2021, corporates locked in very low interest rates for an extended period of time. And the same did Americans by locking in a 30-year mortgage rate. So they fixed their borrowing for a long period of time. All right. And was the mentality there, Alf? Because you, you talked... You know, you, when you were bond analyst, you you talked to a bunch of CFOs. Was that them just responding to market forces where they just said, oh my God, ZERP, like we're never going to go lower. So load up now while it's as cheap as it can be. Well, I don't know if anybody thought that we would never go lower than that, uh, but they surely thought that interest rates were very palatable to borrow for the long term. So with, with hindsight, it's easy to say those rates were incredibly low, but even then they were objectively low. So people went on and refinanced. They locked in a 30-year mortgage rate at 3% and corporates locked in borrowing for the next 10 years at very low interest rates. What this means, Adam, is that for the first 12 to 18 months, the actual refinancing needs are very, very low. It takes time for the refinancing wall to hit. This has helped, actually, the U.S. economy to be shielded from higher interest rates, together with fiscal deficits, which were run at an incredibly big pace for this point of the cycle. But now, the refinancing cliffs are approaching a bit faster in 2024 and 2025. But on top of it, we have moved in uh, the, the moving interest rates higher has shifted from the front end to the long end of the bond markets. And that is the bear steepening that we're talking about. So what is bear steepening? Bear steepening happens where interest rates move higher across the curve, but they move higher faster at the long end than they move at the short end. So you're looking at bear steepening where two-year yields are going higher, third-year yields are going higher, but third-year yields are going higher faster than two-year yields. That's what a bear steepening of the curve is. Mm -hmm. So in this chart, I actually plotted a stylized example of a bear steepening. So you can see the Fed fund implied curve in orange and in blue. In blue, it's before the bear steepening. And in orange, it's after the bear steepening. And below in this chart, you'll see the delta. So you'll see what changed between this curve when bear steepening was happening. What you can see there is that the orange curve after bear steepening, it's generally shifted higher compared to the blue one, but the majority of the shift happens at the long end, right? So short-end yields go up, but by not much, but the long end moves up by a lot. So what does that mean? How do you interpret that from a bond market perspective, Adam? Well, it's pretty simple. The market is telling you that the Federal Reserve might hike maybe one more time, and it's telling you that over the next one to two years, rates are going to be a bit higher. But contrary to the past, the bond market is also telling you that higher rates today, higher rates over the next one year, are not going to lead to more cuts tomorrow. 
They are going to be sustained over time. In other words, the market is telling you that the Fed is going to keep rates higher for longer and that the economy can handle it. Mm -hmm. So you know what's so interesting about this is that that's what Powell has been saying for over a year now. Hey, everybody, I'm going higher for longer. The market has doubted Powell every step along the way. And it's always had to readjust its expectations. And clearly now it is here in the bond market. Um, and obviously bonds have, have been hit hard, right? We just talked about how U.S. Treasuries have an unprecedented third year of declines. What's so interesting to me, and we can talk about this later, but I just want to flag it, is the stock market has not adjusted for this yet. No, not right? at all. So <laughs> but it's we, finally we... saying, okay, I guess you know, all last year it was pivot, 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 pivot's going to happen tomorrow. Now it's like, ah, I guess we're going to be stuck with higher rates for a lot longer. But the markets still haven't sold off on that news yet. So just now as we speak, Adam, I think the stock market is starting to notice that there is something that is changing. But you're right that we have been stubbornly resilient there. So the market is pricing, in other words, Adam, the best of all worlds. It's pricing an economy that can handle higher rates. So the bond market is going through bear steepening. Higher rates are being imposed, as we speak, on consumers, on corporates, on the economy, on markets. And yet, markets are pretty stable because, yeah, of course, the economy can handle it, man. That's not going to be a problem. 30-year rates at 4.5%, sure, growth is going to be fine. Nobody's going to get affected by it. That's what the market is pricing today. That's a bit of la-la land pricing, if you it, ask it, it is, and, and it also really validates, I think, the chart that you showed earlier of how the bond uh, returns predict the stock market returns, right? Where the bond market has already gotten the memo, and now we're just waiting for the stock market to get the memo. And history shows that it will. So here, the bond market has gotten the memo. We have gotten drawdowns on a rolling basis of 10 15% in bond markets, which, given the low volatility of this market generally, are quite something. The stock market is just basically starting to reverse. But in principle, one should expect from this chart that later on, the equity market would also get the memo with a bit of a delay. Now, the bear steepening trend, why does it, why does it really hurt? It hurts because you are taking the tightening and you're prolonging it through time and you're moving it towards the long end. So why the long end of bond markets is really important at this stage? Now, think about it. If you are a corporate or a household with a mortgage to be refinanced, Adam, and somebody tells you, well, Adam, you need to refinance, what, in a year, in two years? Uh, don't do it now. Just wait. The Fed is going to cut rates. And, you know, in, uh, in a year or two, you can refinance at much lower levels. So just wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And then it's nine months until you need to mature. And you see what's happening today. You see that the Fed isn't likely to cut rates. You see that rates have moved higher and you have no place to hide anymore until mm -hmm. you're getting closer and closer to your refinancing date. You're, you're forced to swallow much higher interest rates. They will hit you. They will literally hit you. And the same goes for corporates. So when the bear steepening happens late in the cycle, the dimension of time is important because more people, more corporates are getting actually hit by higher refinancing rate as time goes by. So the time component matters and also long end rates have gone higher. So there is no place to hide anymore 
along the curve. And also so great, great point. And if I can just make sure I, I, I fully understand here. So obviously, as you um, have to refinance at a higher rate, you have left available after you've serviced your debt to do things, right? Because your debt is taking more and more of your cash flow, right? Um, so obviously, you get hit once you refinance. But what you're saying is even leading up to the refinance date, companies are going to start constraining their spending because they're going to realize, oh my goodness, I I've got to start sort of saving up for this re-rating that's coming up here. And it sounds like you're saying we're now kind of in that period where the companies can see that the Fed is probably not going to ride to the rescue in time before their maturity date. And so they're, they're at the point where they're starting to tighten their pocketbooks. That is perfectly right. So while so far you could postpone your decisions because the refinancing cliffs were far, far away, now they're less far away. And on top of it, you watch what's happening in bond markets and you understand you have no place to hide anymore. Also, long-end bond deals have gone higher. Now, when the curve bear steepens, and you said it correctly, it's not always a problem because if you're a corporate and you're facing higher refinancing rates, Adam, but the economy is growing fast, you're selling more, you're getting more profits in, that's okay. You're going to spend more money on that servicing, but you have a bigger budget because you're selling more stuff. So here what I did is I looked at nominal growth in the United States by taking the series that the NBER uses to determine whether the US is in a recession or not. Not just GDP, guys. We need to look at the broader economy. That's what the NBER does. So I took that series. I added inflation. So I get a, go a gauge for nominal growth. That's the blue line. Okay, And then I took the, the treasury curve to see whether it steepens or it flattens. Okay, So have a look at the red box. Do you remember early 2021, Adam? Reopening, the vaccines were there. Fiscal stimulus was running hot. Mm -hmm. Biden had just won the Senate as well. So everybody was extrapolating this fiscal thing would last forever. But we were reopening the economy. The economy was running fast. So look at nominal growth. Look at the blue line. It was running really, really hot in 2021 as we were reopening the economy. Now, the curve also bear steepened back then. Look at the orange line. This was a bear steepening of the curve. Did the equity market tank? Not at all. Because the economy was stronger. The economy could temporarily handle higher interest rates. But now look at what's happening today. Nominal growth is trending down. Slowly but surely, it is trending down. So if you apply the bear steepening we are seeing today, if you push long-end rates higher, if you price in higher for longer, while nominal growth is coming down, that is a terrible cocktail. Because a corporate cannot count on stronger sales, cannot count on making more money, on having a larger budget to service their debt. But as you said correctly, Adam, they'll need to take a decision. And very soon, they'll need to ask themselves, well, I need to refinance very soon. I'll need to pay more in debt servicing costs. Where am I supposed to cut? And they will start cutting labor. This is the process. This is the macro lags that come at play. And it takes time until all these things happen. But we are now watching a very important development, a late cycle, bear steepening, while nominal growth is coming down, and an oil rally at the same time, which limits the ability of the private sector to face higher refinancing costs in the first place.
All right. Uh, I just want to tie what you just said to the analysis by Michael Kantrowitz. Um, Alf, I'm sure you're familiar with his HOPE yeah. framework, right? Which basically is an acronym for the progression of how economies fall into recession. And the E in HOPE is employment. And basically, that's the last, last domino to fall that really gives the green light for the recession to arrive. And at least based on the official data, you know, that that last domino E has been surprisingly resilient, we'll say. Uh, there's been a lot of debate on how much we can really trust the government numbers, but still, you know, objectively, you know, we're, we're not seeing layoffs of the, the scale that we've seen, you know, during bad recessions, right? Um, what you're saying is the bear steepening could very well be the trigger that topples that last E, right? It's the, yes. it's, it's the cost cutting that forces corporations to start having to lay off at scale. The combination of higher oil prices, bear steepening, and refinancing cliffs coming closer, this combination makes it so that corporates cannot delay taking harsh decisions anymore, Adam. So the reasons why employment has, has been much stronger than people thought, it is weakening, of course, but it's weakening at a more moderate pace than people thought. It's really three things. The first is fiscal deficits. Biden threw a huge amount of money at the economy between October 22 and October 23. I have a news for you. It's over. October 2023 is the last month where the budget, which was agreed upon in October 2022, is actually valid. And as we speak, these guys are even having problems passing a stopgap funding bill for a month, let alone agreeing on a budget that will print another one and a half trillion of fiscal deficits next year. I don't think they will be able. I think the Republicans will try to slow down spending as a tactical move ahead of elections. So you are not going to get the same fiscal tailwinds next year, Adam. It's very unlikely. So, okay, less so, so you're, you're saying, and I've talked about this in the channel a fair amount, I think the surprise of 2023 for those coming into it expecting a recession was going to happen at any moment is that they were right. The Fed and the banking system on top of it have been pushing on the economic and monetary breaks. Um, but the administration and Congress have been jamming the gas pedal with this deficit spending. And you're basically saying uh, that has pushed off the day of reckoning. It's pushed off the arrival of the recession. But now their foot is getting taken off the gas uh, because of the expiration of the agreement. And given the political jockeying that we're likely to see between now and the election, highly unlikely they're going to be able to continue doing it at the level that they've been doing at. Exactly correct. So that means one of the tailwinds that supported a stronger labor market than people thought is actually fading away. The second thing is, as we discussed, refinancing cliffs weren't there. So even if the economy was slowing down, Adam, corporates could delay their cost-cutting measures because they didn't need to actually face refinancing there was not much refinancing going on. I mean, they weren't forced to come and borrow. They could wait. Because of having locked in low interest rates for so long, that slows down the process of debt coming due to be refinanced. That was the case in 2023. But as you correctly said, in 2024, it's already picking up. So there will be less companies, let's say, Adam, that can delay the process of cutting labor next year. And the third point is bear steepening and higher oil prices. So interest rates have now moved higher across the curve. 
that is a much more taxing environment for borrowing than it is if interest rates move higher only at the front end. Not only that, bear steepening highly increases the chances of something going wrong in markets. All, all business models, Adam, that rely on leverage are highly exposed now. <laughs> Which just for folks watching is most business models in today's economy. Well, pretty much. Including the housing but, market. <laughs> yeah. So you can go and think about highly leveraged, unprofitable small caps in the United States. Um, housing market, um, credit markets in general, shadow banking, pension funds, insurance companies, real estate. The list is very long. When long and interest rates move higher because of the much higher sensitivity to interest rates because of the higher duration in technical terms, a 10 basis point move in two-year interest rates is not even comparable to a 10 basis point move in 30-year interest rates. To explain it in numbers, a 10 basis point move higher in third-year interest rates is akin to about 10 times the magnitude of a 10 basis point move in two-year interest rates. Mm. When it comes to the mark-to-market, to the negative impact on your profit and loss, on your business, on your mark-to-market, it is 10 times as bad. So looking at this here, long end of the curve, moving higher, rather than this, this is 10 times larger because of higher duration, of higher interest rate sensitivity of long-end interest rates. Wow. Um, yeah, I think that's something that's, it's important for folks to know. So you you, you have the delta there, right, of the, your, your orange bear steepening curve versus the way it was before, right? So that if you take that, if you were to shade the area between the two lines, yeah. right, and then extend it out all the way across the, the yield curve duration, that basically just shows you, you know, that's that's all the increasing cost of all the debt that's out there that's now wasn't going to interest service that is now you know going to go to incremental interest service so it's just all this money that comes out of production in the economy all right and i think a lot of people don't really think of it that way but to your point it's a tremendous amount of value that gets taken off the table when the the, the full yield curve moves like this and people always obsess about the United States defaulting and hey, uh, you know, interest rates are four and a half percent now in the long end of the curve. So how will the U.S. government handle this? Well, the U.S. government can print money. It's not a great way to handle this, but they can postpone the problem. They are the issuer of the dollar. Let me ask you a question. Can you print more dollars to pay your mortgage if interest rates have gone higher? Can a corporate print dollars? No, they can't. So as you say, they have a fixed budget. The private sector has a budget. It's the revenues we make. It's our salaries. It's our earnings. It's our sales. Out of that pie, we will need to dedicate now much more to interest rate servicing, especially when refinancing coming due at higher interest rates, and they are coming due much more aggressively in 2024. Right. And, and just to, to note, it's even worse than that, right? So it's it's the companies that have to tighten their belts because their cost of debt's gone up, but also the cost of debt has gone up for all players in the ecosystem. So consumer households, they have to cut back because their debt costs more. We're a 70 plus percent consumer spending economy. So, you know, the the the, the revenues are going to go down <laughs> because consumers are spending less. 
and the expenses are going to go up because companies are paying more on their debt service. So they're really getting squeezed from, you know, from, from those two directions. And of course, the increase in oil prices, you know, input prices, that just makes things even worse. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Indeed. So that comes back to this chart we've shown. If nominal growth, the blue line, was heading higher, then at least this bear steepening would be a bit more bearable. Why? Because you have a larger pie, because more people are getting employed, because salaries are going up, because earnings are going up. Then at least the fact that you have to pay more in interest rate uh, spending, that's kind of bearable. But today you're looking at the opposite. You're looking at nominal growth coming down. So the pie is not even the same. If you wish the pie might be getting smaller and out of a smaller pie, you need to allocate more into interest rate expenditures. The, the obvious result will be, as you say, Adam, that people will spend less, companies will hire less. At some point they will be forced to fire and firing people will lead to people spending even less. And that's a vicious circle called as recession. Now, it's taking longer, much longer, and we have explained why. But I find it extremely funny that every time we are late cycle and people get frustrated with the fact that the recession is taking longer, like in 2007, we start talking about there's going to be no recession, no landing. This time is different. It's different this time. Yeah. Always and, and, and Alf, you know, they, they, they say that, um, you know, um, bear, uh, was it bull markets climb a wall of worry, bear markets slide down a slope of hope. And coming into 2023, there was a massive wall of worry, right? We all, yeah. everybody thought there was going to be a recession. And as some folks in this channel, Lance Roberts, probably being principal among them, was beating the drum, watch out everybody. Because when everybody's on one side of the boat, you know, uh, they're usually not all right, right? You know, when, when too yeah. many people are on one trade. And he said, we've got this massive wall of worry. That's what bull markets love to climb, right? That's pretty much what we saw happen this year, you know, for the reasons you mentioned, the stimulus, the the, the um, deficit spending, all that type of stuff. Um, but now, and Lance has been beating this drum now, where to your point, Alf, so many people have capitulated, they've given up, it's different this time, you know, we're probably gonna have a soft landing, no landing. We now have that slope of hope, and this is what bear markets like to come, you know, tear up. <laughs> well, uh, just to describe a bit the slope of hope, earnings per share expectations from analysts for 2024 are plus 12%, for 2025 are plus 15%. To give you an idea, the standard earnings per share growth of the S&P 500 over the last few decades has been around 7 to 8% on average in a year. So analysts are expecting that all this tightening, higher interest rates, everything we're watching, prolonged now, bear steepening, higher for longer, higher oil prices, are not only going to produce positive earnings per share, but even more positive than the standard average earnings per share growth in a year of the S&P 500. That's a slope of hope. That's analysts basically expecting not only that growth isn't going to slow down, but that earnings per share growth is going to surprise to the upside. Mm -hmm. And 
one interesting chart here that I want to bring is supposedly the stock market bottomed in October 2022. The S&P 500 was at 3,600, if I'm not mistaken, about 3,650 or so. In a bear market, stocks typically would bottom nine to 10 months before earnings bottom. Okay, so you see the blue line here, that's the mm -hmm. price of the S&P 500, and the white line is earnings per share. You can see the price bottoms about nine to 10 months before earnings per share bottom. And that seems like what's happened until now. The S&P 500 bottomed in October last year. Earnings per share kept declining. We have had negative earnings per share growth in 2023. So earnings per share declining, declining, declining. Come about now, nine to 10 months after, the bottom in S&P, earnings should bottom too, if this chart has to be validated. And that's exactly what analysts are expecting. They're expecting that we are here and therefore the S&P 500 will keep going up, earnings will keep going up. And I think all of this is wrong. All of this is wrong because earnings per share are not likely to bottom where we are now. They might stabilize for a bit, but remember the macro lags. We are entering the period where it is more likely that the tightening we have applied 18 to 24 months ago actually plays out. Not less likely, more likely, if history is any guide. And instead of respecting the macro lags, Adam, people are getting frustrated with the recessionary call and they're producing a nice slope of hope that says we have bottomed, earnings per share are going to grow double digits next year and double digits in 2025 as well. That's a slope of hope. Yes. All right. Got great answer. And it's funny because you were going in that chart and I was going to say, Alpha, I'm not really sure that's what's setting up here. And then you said, no, it's not. But that's what Wall Street analysts seem to be thinking. Um, I've got two questions for you, if you can. W one just is... Um, uh, back to bear tightening um, of the or bear steepening of the yield curve. Um, you know, you said that that that's the bond market realizing that the Fed is going to go higher for longer. Yes, right? that's a that's an important component of that. I want to just get your reaction to some other reasons that I've heard for why Treasury yields are going up. Um, one is that uh, it's a supply issue. Right, that the U.S. is suddenly, you know, in overdrive in issuing uh, Treasury bonds, and uh, Janet Yellen, you know, I think in, right near the end of the first half of the year, said, "I'm going to, I'm going to basically issue almost two trillion uh, in fresh U.S. Treasuries in the second half of 2023." Um, so you have that, and then other people have been saying, "Hey, and if you look at at you know foreign sovereign countries that have been the biggest buyers of Treasuries historically, they are now selling." Treasuries, they're 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 bringing their net holdings of U.S. Treasuries down. So you sort of have more product being pushed by the Treasury, and at least the usual suspects who would buy them not buying them. And of course, the Fed's not buying them right now either, which that was always the the buyer of last resort. So how relevant are those two issues, the supply and the buyers on strike, if you will, uh, in in the steep playing a role in the the bear steepening as well? So I'm very happy you bring the supply and demand uh, to the table. It's, it leads nicely into the bond market course because it's one of the things we talk about in there. So the demand for bonds, the demand, not the supply, is one of the most underestimated and underanalyzed things out there. Who are the buyers of bonds? If the treasury is issuing more, who is buying these bonds, right? And you, you mentioned foreign exchange reserve managers. So foreign central banks 
they sell products in dollar, right? So a Brazilian company sells uh, soybeans in dollars, right? They accumulate dollars. The dollar entered the Brazilian banking system, Adam, and then the Brazilian central bank will find themselves a surplus of these dollars and they will need to recycle them somewhere, right? So they look for a very liquid and deep market, which is the treasury market, obviously. So Brazil and China and all other countries will be buying a ton of treasuries. That is correct. And these guys are buying less treasuries than in the past. They are doing that for a, a bunch of reasons. One of it can be a geopolitical one, right? We have seen what the US has done to Russian dollar reserves and a few countries might be wondering, well, it's best if I diversify a bit and I buy a bit more gold, which also explains why gold has been so resilient in the face of higher real interest rates. There is a structural demand out there which is going on from these foreign central banks. So the supply is going up. And one of the guys that are driving the demand is fading away. But they're not the only guys, Adam. What about the pension funds? What about the banks? What about the insurance companies? Those are extremely large buyers of treasuries, much larger than the foreign exchange reserves out there. Okay, that's good to know. So they're much larger. So to give you an idea, there are about $10 trillion of FX reserves in the world. So this is the total pool of assets that are held by foreign central banks. Of these, about 60% are invested in dollar assets. So that makes for a $6 trillion kind of market, okay? Six trillion. Now, if I look at US banks alone, that because of regulation, something very important that I explained in the, in the bond market course, and if I look at insurance companies and pension funds, the amount of structural buying needs from pension funds, insurance, and banks because of regulation and other needs is a multiple of that market. We're talking about 10 to $20 trillion worth of buying from these guys. So then you are basically, you have to focus on that group as well. You can't just cherry pick one group of buyers, which is fading away and slowly look at that. You also have to look at the others, banks, pension funds, and insurance companies. All right, great so points. Great points. Um, and I'm curious, uh, how uh, how much smaller a fish or bigger a fish is the retail money that is currently moving out of banks, right? This Bank is... deposits are moving out of banks for money market funds, which invest in, in treasuries, or just being directly invested in T-bills themselves. This is an excellent point. And the retail crowd is, of course, much smaller than that. But we are still looking at about a trillion to two trillion of money that can move from bank deposits, which are paying very little, and are unsecured risk of a bank failing, as we have seen in March of 2023, to a more secure instrument, which is a T-bill, which also yields more money or yields better, or a money market fund, which is guaranteed at the end of the day and invests basically in government securities anyway. So that transition is also worth a couple of trillions. My point on supply and demand is the following. It is much more nuanced than people want to make it. I understand it's a very simple narrative, so people can follow it. The treasury issues more. The Fed isn't buying. The effectors of managers aren't buying, and therefore the yields are going higher. Well, then my question is, what are banks doing? What are insurance companies doing? What, are, what is PIMCO doing? What is BlackRock doing? Because they together are much bigger 
than the FX reserve market uh, itself. Okay. Um, well, this, folks, is why you want to take your your bond knowledge from uh, a, a very you know industry uh, deepened and seasoned uh, veteran like Alf. So, Alf, we're going to talk about your your course in just a minute, but before we do, let's make this real for everybody. Okay. So, Alf, got it. We got this bearish bear steepening. You've showed us the chart that shows how bond returns lead. Uh, S&P returns by 18 months. It looks like pretty soon we're going to, the S&P is going to, you know, catch up on the downside uh, to the bond market. Um, what do we do? You know, are there, are there assets right now that look particularly well positioned for, for this next leg? And are there ones that you might not want to touch with a 10 foot pole right now? Look, this is a, an environment that highly resembles late 2018. If you remember back then, bond deals were going higher and the credit market froze in late 2018 because it was too much. So we had the same story, bear steepening, higher neutral rate, and uh, the Fed is going to hike, but the economy can handle it. A very similar uh, situation. And then at some point, the equity market took a drawdown, the credit market froze, and bond markets also couldn't rally because the Federal Reserve was very stubborn only for a couple of months until they pivoted because they realized how much damage they did. And if you remember in 2019, Powell said, sorry guys, this was too much. And they pivoted dovish and the S&P in 2019 made a 30% return. And bond markets rallied as well very, very hard. So now we resemble the first part of this where we are tightening the screws and bonds can't rally because the Federal Reserve is projecting this higher for longer story. And we are testing whether the economy can really handle it. So we are bear steepening and bonds can't rally yet. Equity markets can't rally either. Forget about it. I mean, you're facing a ton of headwinds that we just discussed. So you can't buy bonds and you can't buy equities. What about commodities? Well, oil has been having a good run, and it is uh, normally something you see late cycle, that the physical market right, like oil tries to test the hypothesis. Yeah, but then when something breaks, oil is going to break as well. So do you want to be long oil? Oh, maybe a bit. In a portfolio, the idea is you want to be prepared for different macro environments. So uh, for, for instance, I have something at the Macro Compass called the Forever Portfolio. It tries to do exactly that tries to be balanced around different macro environments. But for today, what we're looking for the next few months, I think that the best asset you can have is dollar cash invested in T-bills, obviously, instead of at a bank, because you're going to make 5.5%. But guys, in an environment where bond yields are going higher and they're testing the hypothesis of higher for longer, right when the economy is lowing, there is no place to hide if not dollar cash invested in T-bills, making a secure 5.25% yield per annum. That looks like a very different, difficult, difficult hurdle to beat for the next three to six months to me. Okay. So we have the, the economic camel who you are looking at and saying, all right, one of these next draws is going to break its back. And then that's going to really, you know, set the timer for the recession. And that's going to finally get the memo to the stock market stock market's going to start correcting um and meanwhile through all that the bear steepening will will persist right so you're sort of like it's not a great time for any asset right now 
So just getting paid a nice real return to sit in safety, good deal because, and this is where I want you to respond, because when the break happens, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because I made the 2019 example and something broke. The credit market broke. Uh, Apple had a drawdown of 25% in uh, six to eight weeks. Uh, and the equity market was down 20% in three months. And the Fed pivoted straight away in January 2019. Why? Because inflation was 2%, Adam, back then. Try to picture the same now. Try to picture this prolonged bear steepening, which leads to a, an equity sell-off of 20% and the credit market freezing. Do you expect the Fed to pivot in a month? In two months? I don't because inflation is still way too high. Their hands are literally tied if something like that happens. It's a terrible setup because they can't pivot dovish or they will lose their credibility until they have literally seen that a lot of damage has been done, that unemployment rate has moved higher materially. At that point, they can save face and tell people, well, we have tightened, see? We have slowed inflation down. The labor market has you know, uh, broken. And we are now forced to repair, but they cannot proactively pivot dovish like they did in 2019. They can only reactively do that. So that makes things much more complicated. Okay, got it. Let me just restate that because I think that's really important. You think that when things break, as long as inflation is still elevated, and really in Powell's world, elevated is above 2%, right? He's been super clear for credibility's sake saying, folks, I'm not raising to a 3% new target. Like uh, to me, it all means 2% or less, right? So that's where his credibility is hung. So you're basically saying he is going to basically sit on the sidelines, watch the market correct, watch the job market worsen until one of two things happens. Inflation is below 2% which could happen if the destruction is bad enough, but still it's it, you know, that would probably be a painful world if that happened quickly. Or the world comes to him and begs him, yes. please, Tao, I know you said you wanted to get to 2%. I know you said inflation was the big thing, but we are begging you pivot now. And then he'll then have the air cover at that point to say, okay, you know, inflation's only at 2.9% or whatever, but I have to do this now because the world is begging me. That's pretty much correct. And so in the first phase, there is not much that makes a lot of money. Honestly, dollar cash is the thing that will protect your drawdowns better in that environment. In the later stage, gold is the thing that will do immediately better. Um, bond markets will timidly try to rally, but they can't really rally because the Federal Reserve is stubbornly disallowing them to do so. And only when the Federal Reserve really recognizes the damage that has been done, it's when bond markets will rally viciously. So they will rally hard and they will rally last. Before that, it's going to be very hard to be long any asset and make a reasonable amount of money adjusted for the risk you're taking instead of simply taking your 525% risk-free rate sitting in dollar cash. That's how I see markets today. Okay. Very well said. And we're going to have to leave it there just time-wise. Um, so, because I want you to have a little bit of time to explain your new course to folks before we log off here. Um, Alf, this has been great. You always uh, use the term, you know, 
fully open the kimono. You're very comfortable doing that <laughs> with our audience. And I really thank you for that because people really appreciate the transparency and the specificity. So this has been wonderful. Now for folks that have watched this and said, okay, great. Um, Alpha is really helping me begin to understand the bond market, but I, I really want to get better at understanding it because I might actually want to start making direct investment in bonds myself. Where can they go? Tell us about this new course. So look, Adam, if people are listening to this interview, they have been asking themselves, well, I really need to understand this bond market better because it seems to be so important. But so far, they haven't made a step because it's full of jargon, full of technicalities, full of math, and they don't know where to start. That ends today. I made a bond market course just to answer exactly these questions. So the idea is I've been there. I've learned stuff. I've been in the business. I want to make sure I can share it with you in plain English. So I unpack the bond market in a course that lasts about four hours. There is material for people to study even more. There are supporting slides. And the bond market course can be purchased at a link that uh, we will put in the description, right? Yeah. Do, do you have a... Uh, is it a, is it a long link or is it a pretty it's, easy uh, link? Re relatively long? So it's uh, well they can go on the macrocompass.com, which is my website, and there is a course dedicated section on the website where it Great. is. E even better, here's what we'll do, folks. I'll put a link in the description below this video, but you can also just go to wealthion.com/slash/alfbonds, all one word, and that'll redirect to the the page that Alf is talking about. Well, that was easy, but the most important part of all of this is that I really like Wealthian and I really like the Wealthian audience and the job you're doing uh, with these guys. So I thought that to facilitate and encourage people to go and learn about bond markets through my course, I want to throw an exclusive offer at you guys at Wealthian, if you allow me, Adam, to do that. Absolutely. I'd be hung if I didn't. Okay. So for the first 50 people that will go and use the discount code 20BOND, so that's two zero bond I guess you got it. You're going to get a 20% off the price that you find on the website, but it's limited. So the 51st guy that will do that won't be able to enjoy the discount code. So if you're keen on doing that, go on the website. We'll put the link in the description, Adam, or otherwise use Adam's the link that he just mentioned. Discount code 20 bond, two zero bond. Very generous, Alf. Thank you for doing that. I know you're going to get a lot of... Uh kudos and gratitude from the audience in the comments to this. Uh, thank you. You've been such a great friend of Wealthion uh, over the years since we started. Uh, we're huge fans of you and the Macro Compass. Uh, looks like this love affair is only getting better and better going forward. Uh, but anyways, I really do appreciate you making that special offer available to my audience here. Um, all right. And then um, beyond the course itself, if folks just want to follow you, uh, they go to uh, macrocompass.com or your Substack. Yeah. The macrocompass.com is the website. So when you go in there, guys, there is anything starting from free material. I have a free newsletter. Um, so you can find it on the website. You go on the macrocompass.com, you scroll, and you'll find the free newsletter as well. If you want to start from there, be my guest. We're all here for education. There are people that want to step it up to a higher level, people that want to start free. There are also, of course, subscription tiers to much more you know, in-depth material, including stuff like my forever portfolio that I discussed before, which is a macro ETF portfolio that is equipped for different macro environments, the bond market course, interactive tools, anything is available on themacrocompass.com.
All right, great. And then you, uh, you're active on Twitter. Uh, your handle there is, remind folks? At MacroAlf. Although Elon Musk has made it uh, a much more difficult place to use or interact and uh, enjoy, I would say, since he took over. So I'm not sure it's uh, really the place where I'm the most active. But yes, my Twitter handle is at MacroAlf. Okay, great. Um, so when we edit this, Alf, we'll put up the links there to your course. We'll make sure folks know what the discount code is to the Macro Compass website. And to Twitter, it sounds like you're saying most folks should just go to your website if they want to follow you because Twitter has been less useful to you recently. But want to make sure folks who use Twitter know that. Um, okay, well, look, um, just in wrapping up here, folks, uh, one other resource to make you aware of um, is the Wealthy on Fall online conference uh, is still scheduled for Saturday, October 21st. Um, I won't give the big pitch on it here because the big thing to do after watching this video is to go check out Alf Spawn course. Uh, but if you want to get more information about the conference and register for it while we still have the lowest price discount at our early bird, I think it's 29% off discount. Go to wealthion.com slash conference. And if you're an alumnus, check your email because you'll have a code for me that'll give you an additional 15% off of that price. And just as we you know do in every video, um, I think Alf's done a great job of saying, of showing us here why bonds are so important, what's the really difficult time we're likely to have ahead of us here in the markets for every asset, basically. And so in addition to getting educated uh, through courses like ALF's, um, obviously you wanna put that into practice, you know, into action in your own portfolio. And for the vast majority of people watching this who have real lives, you know, they're just regular people, they've got jobs and families to pay attention to, highly recommend you do that. Uh, one under the guidance of a good professional financial advisor, but most importantly, one who understands and takes into account all of the macro issues that Alpha has been talking about here. That really narrows down the probability set. So if you've got someone who fits that narrow set, great, stick with them. But if you don't, if you like a second opinion of one for one, a second opinion by one who does, feel free to schedule a free consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. To do that, just fill out the short form at Wealthion. Dot com only takes a couple of seconds, totally free, no commitment to work with them. It's just a public service they offer to help as many people position as prudently as possible today in advance of the developments that ALF thinks might be coming down the road. Um, if you've enjoyed having ALF on this channel, would like to see him come back on again, please encourage him to do so by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And ALF, I just want to say again, thank you so much for just giving so generously of yourself in these videos. I'll let you have the last word here. Well, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Adam, and I appreciate the educational angle that you've been pursuing on Wealthian. So if somebody is listening to this video and is not subscribed to the channel, what are you waiting for? Do subscribe to Adam and to Wealthian. And that ah, was it. You're such a good man. All right. Thanks, Alf. Everybody go check out Alf's course. And thanks so much for watching. Thank you.